dark secret place. This radioactivity is coming from Brian Suits on KFI. I would bomb the shit out of him. Dark secret place with Brian Suits on KFI. KFI AM 640 more stimulating talk. It is the dark secret place. Brian sits in here until midnight and uh, next hour it, it happened again. A hack, a hack of uh, apparently not quite biblical, but um, uh, I don't know, like maybe Easterish uh, proportions. The Chinese ministry for state security again uh, is uh, being fingered as the most likely culprit uh, for what's going on. So we'll get to that next hour because uh, this this was a, a big hack back in January of specifically American uh, uh, submarine and uh, submarine weapon and anti-submarine technology, 614 gigabytes. And why do we know that? We know that because the contractor that was the target of the hack is if they want to keep signing U.S. Department of Defense contracts, they have to self-report. And they self-reported, oh, we had a bunch of stuff on an unclassified server. How much? Oh, 614 gigs. Oh, okay. So <clears throat> we'll, we'll get to that. Also, uh, you heard Michael Chappé talking about the uh, a lock, with, apparently with, with provenance of uh, General George Armstrong Custer's uh, legendary blonde hair. Is that weird or what? I, I would not believe it. Well, that's why. I would. I, how do you prove that? That's the thing. It the, went the for $12,500. It was expected to go for 2000 right. because they can't honestly prove the, the provenance. Um, There's no no relatives we could DNA check. There, Bet there probably is. Probably if you chase it down, I mean, if you spend 12500 bucks for <laughs> it, if you do bounce it off some Armstrong Custer, some Custer DNA, and you proved it was, it would be worth 100000 bucks. And you know why? A rifle, a carbine, I should say, a cavalry carbine, a Springfield carbine, that is, in fact, known to have been one of the weapons taken from a dead soldier at Little Bighorn, that sold for 200000 bucks. So that happened. So it's something that they absolutely positively were able to prove came off the battlefield at the LBH. Um, that went for 200k by a firearms uh, collector. I mean, I, oh look at this! It's a rifle from Little Bighorn, and it's absolutely. How did they prove that one though? Because of the serial numbers. Oh, um, yeah, it oh, was the Army kept records, and there it was. It was signed out at Fort Meade, South Dakota. Next thing you know, it's uh, hunting buffalo in 1925 in in <laughs> Montana, uh, and it and it was passed down from family to family to family. And one day, someone said. Uh, I wonder what this is worth or something. That's probably how it how it happened. But uh, it is funny. I mean, I know a lot of people in, in eastern Montana around storied Lodgegrass, Montana, and others. Uh, that it, it, it is it is, you know, family legend. There's so many families that have uh, that have, you know, oral history going back to 1876 uh, and all that. So that's we'll, fascinating. We'll talk about that next next hour. Also, of all of the depictions of George Armstrong Custer in film. I will I'll play for you next hour. Probably the most accurate and the best. I'll, t I'll tell you right now, the worst was Errol Flynn in They Died With Their Boots On. That's, that was still at a point in American history where we really couldn't be honest about the engine wars. And Errol Flynn was heroic and his pants were tight. They were very, very tight. And he was, uh, he was busy smuggling bratwurst all through the, mo the movie. And, but he, it was terrible. Amazingly inaccurate. Badly acted. Uh, well, no, I'm sorry. It was it was well acted. It was acting, wasn't it? But uh, it just it, it's not not even close to a good little bighorn uh, movie. But there is one obscure, very obscure. But its depiction of George A. Custer was uh, phenomenal. Um, as we speak, Air Force One, uh, I guess, refueled in Britain and then took back off. Uh, and uh, some of the S some of the aircraft with Air Force One have uh, dropped off and landed at Ramstein uh, Air Base uh, in Germany, and will apparently join the president in a few hours in Singapore. But Air Force One is uh, right now, I guess, about three or four hours away from Singapore. Kim Jong Un 
it, it was not really clear how exactly was he going to get to Singapore. And this is no laughing matter. Air Corio, the, the North Korean, the official airline of North Korea, they have a website. Um, they fly a lot of puddle jumper flights into China, into southern China. And if, if you uh, want to go through the rigmarole of getting a visa in South Korea and going or, or from America and, and visiting North Korea, good luck. Um, but if you want to do it like, for instance, Vice did, the, the Vice.com, <clears throat> they went to China, um, got a really easily uh, were able to obtain a visa, but they had to fly Air Corio. They had to fly the North Korean airline. Uh, the North Korean airline does not have a very good safety record. In fact, there's not a lot of records kept about the North Korean airline. And they have one particular aircraft, a Lyushin 64, that um, Kim Jong-un flew a few weeks ago to Dalian, China. But that was only about an hour, hour and a half flight. Um, there's a reason his dad, Kim Jong-il, didn't fly. And that he only took trains. Because A, uh, he, didn't, he didn't go very far. Um, in Korea, so he, he took his armored train. When he went to Beijing, he took the train into Beijing, like like Kim Jong Un did a couple months ago. But but KJU will fly because he's spent a lot of time in the West. And and Kim Jong Il, his dad, he would fly just not North Korean Airlines. Uh, the two Kims, father and son, Kim Jong Un and his dad Kim Jong Il. Little known fun fact: they both had Mexican passports, and they would actually travel. Uh, in Europe, they went to Euro Disney, but they had Mexican passports and they were legit. They bought them and they would fly uh, a European airline. They wouldn't fly Japan Airlines or they wouldn't fly uh, Korean Airlines or Singapore um, or ANA. Not, nothing where they would be recognized, but they would fly European Airlines to to Europe with their Mexican passports. And I don't know why they thought that would work, but it did. Uh, so anyway, how is Kim Jong-un flying to Singapore? Well, there's two aircraft airborne right now. There is a Air China 747. It's the same one that Xi Jinping, the president of China, flies around. So when he flew here uh, about whatever a year and a half ago when he visited Trump at Mar-a-Lago, and it's a Chinese VIP aircraft. And that aircraft um, flew out of China and then out of Pyongyang. Uh, and so it's en route to Singapore. There is a, a rumor that Chinese Air Force fighters are escorting it to Singapore. Then also the North Korean plane, the Air Koryo Ilyushin 64, that is also en route and flying south, assume, uh, presumably to, uh, to Singapore. There is a large entourage of North Koreans who are already there at the hotel. Uh, some North Korean media were chased down the street by Western media. These are... Two guys, they're wearing the Reservoir Dogs outfit. They're wearing the full black suit and the black tie, and they're running with cameras on their shoulders away from these Western media wearing flip-flops and shorts. And so that the circus is already on in, uh, in, in Singapore, and the, the expectations have been downgraded and more. So as Trump exits the G7 summit, there's a lot of talk about <clears throat> America is in the middle of uh, breaking up and burning bridges with the Atlantic Alliance, uh, our NATO allies, our G7 allies, et cetera. Uh, he, as he closes out that book earlier today and now uh, heads to, to Singapore. Uh, so we'll uh, talk about that when we come back. If you are uh, in this, it is a historic moment. If you are uh, apt to watch Monday night, Fox News and Fox Business are going to go live with the coverage of the summit in Singapore. I'm part of that coverage. I'll be out here uh, in, in LA, but starting around 11 PM Monday night, we'll be going live for about four or five hours on Fox news national. So I'm going to bring two ties and I will actually bathe. So I'll be on. <laughs> Thanks like, for that. Usually I wear shorts and a blazer and I'll still ah, wear shorts. So don't get me wrong. Uh, and uh, so that'll be on Fox news. If you want to see a whole lot of uh, dark secret place on national TV, I'll be on Fox news all over the place on Monday night, but uh, you got to stay up to about 11 PM. Uh, and then I'll be in here Tuesday morning with Bill Handel reviewing my performance and my analysis. So there you go. All right. It is the dark secret place. Brian suits back in just a second. What are, what exactly are the expectations when the, when air force one took off from Canada, what was the last thing Trump said about what we can expect out of this summit? Uh, that, that's about to happen. That and more coming up. Uh, it is a dark secret place in here till midnight. KFI AM 640 more stimulating talk. Didn't even have the time to lie. Brain, 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 brain. 
KFIAM640, more stimulating talk. It is the Dark Secret Place. Brian sits in here until midnight, and then Coast to Coast weekends comes on. So the uh, we're about an hour away, I guess. Uh, I guess about two hours away. Either uh, Kim Jong-un or Trump arrive uh, first, but it's going to be apparently uh, like within an hour of, of each other. Singapore is not a big place, and the airport takes up significant space and it is run on a tight schedule <clears throat> very very tight because uh, that's you get it in and out of singapore uh by and large so we'll we'll see what happens maybe it'll happen between now and midnight well so uh we, we know a couple things uh before monday night and before the summit is over on um, uh, wednesday our time uh, or pardon me wednesday wednesday their time late late wednesday their time uh, one of them is that, first of all, the North Koreans are not denuclearizing, okay? And they may not even get around to discussing uh, anything beyond the location and timing of the the next summit. So the, uh, the North Koreans, the, when this thing is over, uh, th- there may be an agreement to start negotiating a peace treaty on the Korean Peninsula. But it won't mean anything. The paper will not have any legal weight whatsoever. Uh, but if it's an agreement, a public agreement, that might be... Uh, good enough, but there will not be what what in the uh, nuclear weapons disarmament community is called CVID, which which for the record, no one in the Obama administration ever never uh, suggested CVID for Iran. CVID is complete, verifiable, irreversible dismantlement or disarmament, and and it's it's basically the nuclear weapons equivalent of. Uh, Unconditional surrender. <clears throat> that's, that's effectively what it is. CVID. Complete, verifiable, irreversible dismantlement slash disarmament. The North Koreans are not even close to agreeing to even negotiate that, uh, period. So uh, before this even gets underway, we do know that it's going to be a media circus. It already is a media circus. So you have Dennis Rodman and Route, sponsored by Potcoin. I'm, I'm not kidding. Uh, Sebastian Golka is going there with Sean Hannity uh, as well. Disgraced former uh, Trump White House aide uh, going there as as well. And then, of course, the circus of Kim Jong-un, you know, coming out in front of Western cameras uh, and, and uh, the whole thing. Um, what we know right now is regardless of what happens, Trump is not going to walk out. That's It was a scenario. It was an option, but he's not going to do that. And this so-called summit will be declared a success. No matter what minor thing is agreed to, it will be declared a ringing success because it has to. Um, uh, Trump has crowed about the fact that he hasn't prepared uh, and the whole thing. And part of the reason he hasn't prepared is because he knows that nothing substantial is going to happen at this so-called summit. The only substantial thing is uh, depending on the agreed on press release at the end of it. Trump, for for Trump, this is a political victory in the making that no matter what happens, he's going to declare it the greatest agreement in intergalactic history and the whole thing. There'll be absolutely nothing substantial there. Then the other deal is, and, and if, if, if uh, left-leaning media can't figure this out yet, let me just spell you out. Let, let me spell for you the trap you're about to fall into. <clears throat> um, th- this is the first time a North Korean leader has met face-to-face with a U.S. president. That's significant, and you have to give props to that. But when this thing is over and Trump declares that it was uh, tremendous progress and the whole thing— and you start whining and crowing about, yeah, but it wasn't denuclearization. He is setting you up to throw the Iran nuclear deal right back in your face. The the the, the critiques and the criticisms that you threw at him um, four weeks ago about walking away from the JCPOA, the the uh, Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action about uh, Iran, the JCPOA, the the so-called nuclear deal with Iran. Everything you threw at him about what a great deal that was, um, he's going to throw back at you. If, if you criticize this meeting with Kim Jong-un and you point to something like the Iran deal and say, now that was substantial, he's just going to throw back at you the fact that it was, in fact, not substantial. 
um, and that it probably gave the Iranians a green light to continue with their secret parallel nuclear program. I mean, after all, it was less than three weeks after Trump said he was out of the deal when the Iranians suddenly said that they were uh, that there's enrichment process, these uh, gas centrifuges that they shouldn't have the capacity that they're not supposed to have suddenly is going to be up and running to be on track to have a nuclear weapon again. So they have effectively confirmed what Trump said, that they didn't comply with the deal anyway. Because they turned right around and said, oh, okay, well, in that case, we're going to start enriching, uh, you know, this many, um, um, you know, tons of nuclear material between now. They, they shouldn't have the capability that they claimed they were suddenly going to start up. Um, so you're you're going to walk into uh, into his trap. And this is, a, a, if you can't figure this out, he actually is outmaneuvering you on this. Uh, when when Trump says this is a great deal and a monumental uh, event, um, you can point out that there's no actual deal. But when Trump and Kim Jong-un announce a follow-on meeting, say in July or August, when the groundwork is actually done, um, then uh, that will be a big deal. And there will be a new another meeting before November because this is all calculated uh, to assist the Republicans in, in retaining the Congress, just as the Iran nuclear deal was. Okay, don't don't anyone tell me that there was some sort of higher motive for Obama and the Iranian nuclear deal. It was to deliver a a deal, a signed piece of paper, no matter how empty it was. Uh, so to so watch out what you do, you know right now. I know right now exactly what the outcome of this summit is going to be. It's going to be phenomenal, amazing success, but nothing actually will have been done. There will be not a single missile uh, given up or nuclear weapon or whatever, but it, there will be an agreement to continue agreeing on continued meetings. So we'll be back a little more on this. Uh, and talking to the upcoming Singapore summit, the president is in the air. Kim Jong-un is in the air, and they will be landing in Singapore uh, very soon. It's uh, the Dark Secret Place. Brian sits in here until midnight, KFI, AM 640, more stimulating talk. <laughs> If I am 640 more stimulating talk, it is the Dark Secret Place. Brian Suits in here until midnight next hour. George Custer's short and curlies is actually apparently head hair. And a huge, huge uh, case of Chinese hacking revealed by the Washington Post on Friday. Uh, and uh, not surprisingly, American submarine weaponry, the, uh, the, the target in this case. Kim Jong-un's plane, it's a uh, Air China 747 that Xi Jinping normally uh, uses, picked him up in Pyongyang. Uh, I just tweeted out a screenshot from uh, Flight Radar 24 of his uh, the aircraft about uh, half an hour, I guess, out of Singapore. And undoubtedly, it will be, uh, it'll be uh, covered live by Fox and the others. It's, uh, what time are we talking about here? In uh, Singapore right now, it is 1.37 p.m., so maybe a little after 2 p.m. Singapore time, uh, he'll be landing, so, uh, you know, mid, mid-afternoon, mid and then Trump a little bit uh, later. Uh, hey, June 14th, this Thursday at the Dave & Buster's in Carlsbad, attention San Diego. I know you always complain about KFI never does anything, comes, comes down there. Well, I'm doing my live show, Dark Secret Place live show, on Thursday night, 8 to 10 p.m., uh, you can be seated at seven, <clears throat> start chowing and drinking, and there will be uh, there'll be home movies and folksy anecdotes and um, my version of stand-up comedy uh, and all that. And you're all invited. So go to the, the pin tweet at Dark Secret Place, and uh, you can buy tickets. It's two tickets for twenty-six bucks at the Dave and Buster's in Carlsbad. You can only buy the tickets through that the link that's uh, on Twitter. It'll be on Facebook later on. Uh, as well. So stop calling Dave and Buster's and Carlsbad and leave them alone. Uh, so just uh, deal with me there on uh, the Twitter. Um, all right. And so, so fast forward to uh, Monday night, uh, Tuesday, uh, Tuesday morning. N- no matter what the outcome is, Trump is going to declare success. So will Kim Jong-un uh, for, for the North Koreans. Just simply getting the meeting in the first place was already a, a victory. They tried their luck and they were rewarded when they started uh, making noises like they they weren't going to attend, uh, the 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 president um, uh, promised concessions and then canceled the meeting and then reset the meeting uh, as long as the North Koreans would would appear. This was 
the mistake with the handling of the North Koreans, <clears throat> um, and the reason nothing is going to come out of this on Tuesday except a declaration of, you know, the greatest agreement of all time, is because the stance to take with the North Koreans was to have publicly invited them to a meeting, publicly say it would behoove them to attend, that um, the only way forward was in talking uh, honestly and forthrightly and openly, and then put the ball in their court instead of basically begging them to meet and sending, you know, lovely letters back and forth and the whole thing. Uh, but instead what we did was we made the meeting itself almost the goal. This was supposed to be a meeting where they came prepared to put things on the table about how to become a normal nation again. Um, this is this is where, and, and it was it's funny because for those on the left who were saying, you're going to reward them for having nuclear weapons and being a human rights violator. Well, um, I, I don't recall human rights being any part of the Iranian nuclear deal either. And they don't even have nukes, okay? Uh, with all due respect to the human rights of the North Korean people, uh, my interest in shedding American blood to free them suddenly dwindled after their first successful atomic test. <laughs> I mean, I have no problem being practical in saying that. Uh, I love the human rights of countries where uh, we wouldn't threaten nuclear war to free them. That's not North Korea anymore. Okay, And that, by the way, that didn't happen on Trump's watch. Um, so so the, uh, the expectations have been managed by, by the Trump White House. Uh, finally, this is after three months of, well, we're going to denuclearize. We're going to have talks and the North Koreans are going to denuclearize. And as I've been telling you since that word was used, they have absolutely no intention of giving up the one ace in the hole that they will have forever and ever and ever. The ace in the hole that Saddam never had, that Gaddafi never had, that the Iranians want, by the way, um, no matter what the Iranians say or do with that nuclear deal, the, the one thing Trump is correct on is um, they were going to surprise the world far shorter than the 10-year span of the, of the Obama nuclear deal. They were going to surprise the world with a nuclear test uh, far earlier because it's it's just too big a deal. It's it's the one guarantee of regime survival that nothing else can give them. So of course they have a huge and they have an they have an incentive bigger than the hundred and sixty billion dollars that we repatriated. Um, so the North Koreans were never going to do this, and it, it was a, a little silly of the White House to keep saying that that's what it was. Uh, but but keep in mind. And I think this is what uh, a lot of a lot of media don't get. <clears throat> this is being engineered so that Trump on uh, either uh, Wednesday morning our time or Tuesday afternoon our time can have a live press event and point to whatever happened in Singapore and declare it a great success. And because no matter what happens in Singapore. President Trump and Kim Jong-un will be standing next to each other, shaking hands, will be at a table, whatever. Regardless of the fact that the North Koreans are probably looking at this as an opportunity to play the U.S., um, it will look like a great significant event. Um, the complexities for a peace treaty on the peninsula are far greater than anything that can be as, you know, written down on a cocktail napkin. Far, far more complex. And no one has done the back work on that. I mean, we've had since 1953, okay? And whatever, eight prior administrations have had since 1953 to maybe set out an outline to put in front of the North Koreans for a uh, an end to the armistice and a full-on peace treaty. So don't expect that. There might be an agreement to talk about it. Uh, and symbolically, don't, don't be surprised if the North Koreans, again, they're really good at this. Symbolically, they will say that they'll be destroying a ballistic missile testing facility. You know, last month they imploded their nuclear test range. They didn't need it anymore. Well, there are certain ballistic missile facilities they don't need anymore. So don't be surprised if what they uh, put on the table as a concession for Trump is, yes, we will agree to destroy this ballistic missile research facility. One point, in fact, it will have been in disuse and unnecessary in the whole thing. Um, all right, more on this. I'll give you an update on where Kim Jong-un's plane is. This, this whole thing, it's, it's weird. It's off kilter by our clocks by a little more than 12 hours, but it will be taking place uh, live here coming up in, uh, in the next hour or so. 
It is a Dark Secret Place, Brian Suits, at Dark Secret Place on the Twitter machine. Back right after this, KFI AM 640, more stimulating talk. KFI AM 640, more stimulating talk. It is the Dark Secret Place. Brian Suits in here until midnight. Uh, next hour, we will uh, talk about this uh, hack and the uh, Chinese Ministry of State Security who... Maybe if you're a frequent listener, you've heard me mention them once or twice in their extensive activities here in the Southland, uh, which is one of the, the epicenters of American defense technology uh, and tech. I mean, I mean uh, software tech, uh, future tech, and then hard tech, actual making stuff like, you know, the B-21 Raider in Palmdale, uh, the F-35, uh, et cetera, and as well as UAV technology at General Atomics. In uh, down in San Diego and uh, uh, air environment in Monrovia, you're all targets of Chinese who are working for the MSS. They may not be on the payroll, and in some cases, they may not even know what they're doing when they place a device, you know, across the street from uh, you know a certain building in Simi Valley or something like that. They're doing it for their cousin, you know, or it got FedEx to them from China with instructions on a certain day to put it in a certain place or whatever. It's, it's how they work. They're very, very good at it. And a, a just stunning breach of security at the Naval Undersea Warfare Center in Newport, Rhode Island. Wait, wait till you hear about this. <clears throat> um, the Kim Jong-un plane is now about 20 minutes from landing in Singapore. Air Force One does not, uh, does not send out a tracker. Uh, it's, it's one of the things it's, uh, it's allowed to do. Sort of like a lot of military aircraft turn them off, especially when they're in combat in Syria for obvious reasons. But uh, last we know from Steve Herman uh, at VOA at Voice of America, he's on Air Force One and he took a picture at uh, Suda Bay, Crete. There's a naval facility on Crete uh, called Suda Bay, and Air Force One landed there for a 90 minute refuel stop. And he, uh, everyone got out, stretched their legs. He took a picture, was allowed to take a picture, and tweeted out. And then about four hours ago, he said, wheels up. Well, the flight from Crete to Singapore, depending on how many stops you do, it can be between uh, 13 and 16 hours. Air Force One's not going to do any more stops. They're going to fly directly to Singapore now that they have a full bag of gas. So, uh, so probably Trump is between eight and seven hours away. So he'll be landing late afternoon in Singapore, probably around you know 7 to 8 p.m. Singapore time, which will be around 6 a.m. our time. So that's that's the schedule. Tomorrow, um, by the way, it it, it is uh, late Sunday in Singapore, so the, nothing's going to happen. the uh, The president is going to be on. Uh, you know, keep in mind the president's time is going to be around uh, four a.m. It'll be four a.m. to his body when it's seven p.m. in Singapore. So <clears throat> if he's sleeping right now. Um, when he arrives in Singapore in the evening to his body, it will be early in the morning. Like apparently he gets up very early, like 5 a.m. or 6 a.m. We have part of the reason we know this is because he live tweets morning Joe all the time. But uh, so 7 p.m. or so uh, Singapore time will be to his body early in the morning. Kim Jong-un is going backwards one hour by flying south. And to Singapore, he's going from uh, whatever it is, uh, 2.56 in the afternoon to 1.56 in the afternoon. So he's just losing an hour. So does that matter? I don't know. We'll, we'll see. You know, beauty sleep matters. Um, uh, also, Monday is a working day. Um, Monday and Tuesday are working days there. And uh, so that's why Tuesday, probably Monday night, when, when I'm on uh, Fox, it will be late. Tuesday. It'll be around this time on Monday night, so it'll be you know the afternoon of Tuesday, and that'll be a, a working day. So so anyway, uh, you know, like I say, let me fast forward to to Monday night and early Tuesday morning Pacific time, and I'll uh, reiterate what what I think is going to happen. And you may as well. This doesn't take any clairvoyance or crystal ball to know this. Nothing significant is going to happen. This is not the denuclearizing summit that they touted three months ago. The North Koreans never had any intention to do this. But they are meeting they, they, because we made such a big deal about them meeting. So anyway, they are meeting. Something has to come out of it. So something will. Uh, and just know this. And, and I'm not, you know, this is not a surprise to anyone. 
Um, you know, Trump likes to uh, pump up, uh, you know, everything that's done. That's the, the greatest tax cut in the history of, of, uh, of history, uh, the greatest first year of any president, the most achievements, the whole thing. You know, none of those things are true. The biggest crowd at the uh, inauguration. We, we know that about him. We know that whatever he says, probably take it down by two thirds or not by two. Take it down by one third. Take it to two thirds. <clears throat> and that's a lot closer. Uh, but, but that's me talking and you listening. And most of you are not factory workers in Ohio or Michigan or, or whatever, but make no mistake. Um, and, and I'm not being cynical about this. This is exactly what I expected because this is what every president does. This is what Obama did with the Iran nuclear deal. He delivered, um, uh, the impression of some great international bridge being crossed and and the world being brought off the nuclear brink, it was n not even close. Uh, but that's what people thought, and it was thought to be um, a it would be a big feather in the cap of Hillary because after all, she was his first Secretary of State, and she could claim some of the groundwork, the whole thing. Um, but uh, see how that worked out. So anyway, of course, for for Trump, he's going to deliver rather than going to every single district you know, for the Republican Congress, he's going to deliver. Uh, what what he's going to call proof of success and progress that no other American president has had. Uh, but what do I want to see come out of it? If they both agree that there will be a follow-on meeting, then then that means that it was a successful summit. Okay, there's no no denuclearization is going to happen, nor will it probably ever happen. But uh, at least North Korea is is finding things that they want from us, and we are finding things that we want from them, and that we're both evidently willing to to put them on the table. So that's what's going on. Uh, all right, next hour, a significant break, a significant hack on the part of the Chinese Ministry for State Security. A unnamed contractor uh, put documents, 614 gigabytes of documents about future naval weapons on a unclassified server. And, and, and guess what? The Chinese hacked it. So we'll uh, talk about that. Also, uh, the Battle of Little Bighorn. Uh, re-haunting our history with the, the auctioning of uh, a lock of George Custer's hair. We'll talk about that next hour as well. So Dark Secret Place, Brian Suits in here until midnight, KFI AM 640, more stimulating talk. KFI AM 640, more stimulating talk. It is a Dark Secret Place. Brian Suits in here until uh, midnight. And uh, again, Thursday night, June 14th, they're in San Diego. Uh, live show at Dave and Buster's in Carlsbad, and you can go to Twitter. Uh, two tickets for twenty six bucks. That's <clears throat> uh, the pin tweet there at Twitter. Uh, how, how you? Uh, that's how we how we get a guest list and how uh, you pay for them. Uh, the show is eight to ten p.m. Home movies, folksy anecdotes, swear words like poop and holy s and things like that. Um, it'll all, uh, be kicking off there at eight, but you can, uh, you can have a seat and get some, throw some food down your, your, your head hole at, uh, 7 PM. So I'll see you there at Carlsbad. I know that we're really bad. KFI, we're really bad about getting down there to San Diego, but, uh, Carlsbad is pretty darn good. Okay. You got to admit, <clears throat> uh, there'll be plenty of secret special guests, uh, sitting amongst you that I cannot identify, but believe me, there, they'll be there. Um, the, uh, $12,000, uh, lock of hair of George Custer. We'll get to that here in just a second coming up, but well, uh, like I said, the um, last hour, the uh, Chinese are apparently uh, either doing a drill or they really are removing surface to air missiles from, uh, one of their man-made islands, uh, 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 Woody, Woody Island, uh, not mischief uh, reef, but, uh, Woody Island and possibly the other ones. Um, so substantial service to air missile, uh, resources were plugged into all the islands, but the Chinese are either switching out some on uh, Woody Island or they're doing a drill, but you, you wouldn't really drill removing that stuff, right? Um, if they return it immediately, if, if the drill is, uh, to reinforce the Island and which wouldn't surprise me, that's what I would do. Uh, once stuff is in place and once these islands were all completed about a year ago, um, what do you do? Well, you, you begin practicing defending them because the, uh, United States is, uh, making the same noises that Britain is now making. Uh, we've been making the noises now for three years, uh, doing freedom of navigation ops, uh, phone ops as they're called, 
with the U.S. Navy. Um, last week, two B-52s flew over the islands <clears throat> um, without asking permission. Generally, by the way, if you're wondering, well, what do commercial airliners do? They they tend to avoid the islands because the, the Chinese will challenge uh, anybody under 30,000 feet. They will challenge them, um, especially if you're circling or showing any interest in the islands. Uh, CBS was along with a, a U.S. Navy P-8 Poseidon, which is a 737. Um, last year, and they recorded the Chinese in uh, in open open plain text, uh, open channel, speaking English, warning the aircraft to stay away. But they knew what aircraft it was. They knew it was a U.S. Navy anti-submarine and electronic warfare aircraft. Um, <clears throat> so two B-52s flew over the islands. The Chinese did not register an objection or anything like that. And obviously, you know, at 35,000 feet and 450 miles an hour, uh, crossing over a 24-mile diameter notional piece of sovereign territory, uh, you know, takes you know li- literally a few seconds. takes takes about a, a minute and a half. But uh, the Chinese haven't said anything about that. Um, <clears throat> however, they do continue their balls to the wall uh, espionage against the United States. Washington Post. Uh, breaking this story on Friday, China hacked a Navy contractor and secured a trove of highly sensitive data on submarine warfare. The, the Chinese, by the way, if you're if you're seeing a pattern in regards to what the Chinese are emphasizing, there's a U.S. Navy officer originally from Taiwan um, who was honey trapped and paid uh, into giving up some very very specific electronic warfare and anti-submarine secrets from the P-8 program and other U.S. Navy programs. Um, he was probably the one of the highest-ranking active-duty uh, U.S. Navy anti-submarine specialists when he was arrested about a year and a half ago. Um, <clears throat> uh, he was answering and providing very specific stuff to the Chinese. Um, now what the Chinese are, were caught hacking was get this 614 gigabytes of material relating closely uh, to a closely held project known as Sea Dragon, as well as signals and sensor data, submarine radio room information relating to crypto systems, and the Navy Submarine Development Unit's electronic warfare library. So this is uh, the Naval Undersea Warfare Center in uh, Newport, Rhode Island. Uh, there's another one in Keyport, Washington, but that's primarily. Uh, a torpedo testing place in the Puget Sound. The uh, the the new walk, the Naval Undersea Warfare Center, is a <clears throat> is a center for excellence. It's a clearinghouse for uh, a, a future American anti-submarine systems, current systems, past history, uh, our long history with the Soviet Union, now Russia. The Chinese want access to it because we are the world leading experts in anti-submarine warfare. Full stop. Period. Uh, the Russians are a close second, and the British are probably tied with the Russians. The Chinese are growing hand over fist uh, with their uh, their attack sub and ballistic missile capability. Uh, obviously, the investment is enormous. They want to know what we know. Um, amongst the world submarines that can launch ballistic missiles, the U.S. has 14, Russia has 12, and China has uh, between 6 and 8. Uh, they they don't sally, just like we don't sally all of them at once. The Chinese uh, usually have three or four in close patrol to China. Um, the Chinese don't like the fact that we know where they are, uh, that we can track them from space and from the sky. Uh, and they want to improve that aspect of their uh, warfighting capability because what's the point of having submarines if you actually uh, can't use them like Russia and the U.S. does? The entire point of our ballistic missile Trident submarines um, is that no one knows where they are, and they uh, <clears throat> they go to launch depth uh, without warning, and you can't detect them, so therefore you can't stop them from launching. Um, last year, on July 4th, as you recall, uh, the U.S. did something fairly spectacular, where on the 4th of July, three ballistic missile submarines were doing port visits from uh, Singapore to the Philippines to Australia. And they were not detected by the Chinese. They were not detected by the Russians. But on the 4th of July, they simultaneously surfaced um, and went went visible uh, and did a public port call in three ports of call. 
This, this pisses the Chinese off because they cannot track our submarines. So they want to know what our next generation offensive capability is. They want to know how we encrypt the whole thing. Same thing the Russians did in the 70s and 80s. when the, uh, the This was one of the main thrusts of Russian espionage was uh, American submarine technology. So their uh, concentration uh, on this program called Sea Dragon is fairly telling, and it sort of gives up what the Chinese are looking for. Sea Dragon is a submarine-launched hypersonic cruise missile. It is not a ballistic missile. Uh, it is a hypersonic cruise missile that will presumably have a nuclear capability. I say presumably uh, because the two prior submarine-launched cruise missile systems, Harpoon and Tomahawk, both have nuclear capability. So obviously, if we're going to upgrade to hypersonic, what would be the point if it didn't have a, a conventional as well as nuclear capability? Uh, all right, more on this when we come back. Um, if you've been a longtime listener of The Dark Secret Place, then you know every once in a while, occasionally, if you listen really, really close, I will mention the fact that the Chinese have a full court press in Southern California um, in, in terms of anti-industrial and anti-American uh, and, and, and uh, military espionage. Uh, they have hundreds of people here in SoCal, far more than the FBI does. And uh, this this investment is way, way cheaper than uh, just sitting back and waiting to react to something that we develop. It's way, way cheaper to hack into our systems. Uh, and how do they hack into this? I'll get to that right after this. It's a dark secret place. Brian sits in here until midnight. KFI AM 640, more stimulating talk. KFI AM 640, more stimulating talk. It is a dark secret place. Brian sits in here until uh, midnight. And uh, again, uh, Monday night, the uh, summit in Singapore will be underway. And I'll be part of Fox News and Fox Business Channel's uh, live coverage. It'll be starting around uh, 10 p.m. Pacific time. So I'll be standing by for a couple hours, uh, uh, giving uh, reaction and background to what's going on. So uh, as we speak, Air Force One is probably, <clears throat> I guess, about three hours out from Singapore. And Kim Jong-un is also about two and a half, two or two and a half hours out. Um, the, the the word, as I said last hour, is that Kim Jong-un is on, is on a Chinese 747 and uh, supposedly it's escorted by Chinese fighter aircraft. The, the, the other deal is um, his Illusion 64, his VIP plane, uh, that's actually an Air Koryo, uh, actual North Korean-owned VIP aircraft, his uh, IL-64, that's airborne as well. And uh, his entourage and other staff have already arrived. There was a uh, rugby scrum uh, outside the hotel that they're staying at for some, some North Korean media showed up, you know, and they're wearing the standard reservoir dogs, you know, black suit and black tie. And they were mobbed by uh, Western media and Asian media. But uh, so they're on their way and probably between midnight, and 1 a.m. Uh, Kim Jong-un will arrive there in, uh, in Singapore um, where it is, uh, two, it's going to be around two, two fifteen, and about two twenty, uh, p.m. right now. So, so Trump and Kim will be getting there like within a few hours of each other in the late afternoon there in Singapore. Uh, but anyway, that'll be on Fox Business, Fox News. If you care to stay up late Monday night, early Tuesday morning, and then I'll come in and I'll be doing uh, Tactical Tuesday with Handle. Um, all right, so back to this hack of the Naval Undersea Warfare Center in uh, Newport, Rhode Island. <clears throat> Here's what the Washington Post says. First of all, the Washington Post wants you to know that they agreed to withhold certain details about the compromised missile project at the request of the Navy, which argued that their release could harm national security. I don't think it's really much of an argument, but gosh, that's mighty big of you there, Washington Post. So the breaches occurred. Uh, the the 614 gigabyte uh, breach of material relating closely to the missile project called the Sea Dragon, as well as uh, radio and sensor data and encryption data, occurred in January and February. Um, the official said, speaking on the condition of anonymity, blah, 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 the hackers targeted a contractor who works for the Naval Undersea Warfare Center, a military organization headquartered in Newport, Rhode Island. 
The officials did not identify the contractor. Also, there were secret plans to develop the supersonic anti-ship missile. Uh, uh, that Sea Dragon missile is supposed to be developed um, and deployed by 2020. So it's being tested somewhere, uh, and it's going to be produced by uh, uh, probably Raytheon. That's my best guess. So the word is that the contractor, I, I know what you're saying. Why would they have this material on unsecure email servers and, and library servers, uh, basically uh, data and reference libraries online that anybody could access? Uh, the data was stolen of a highly sensitive nature despite being housed on the contractor's unclassified network. Um, uh, per, uh, uh, so they had no business on a... Uh, unclassified network because it's easy to hack, obviously, with email or phishing or whatever. The the official said the material, when aggregated, could be considered classified, a fact that raises concerns about the Navy's ability to oversee contractors tasked with developing cutting-edge weapons. The breach is part of China's long-running effort to blunt the U.S. advantage in military technology and become the preeminent power in East Asia. The news comes as the Trump administration is seeking to secure Beijing's support in persuading North Korea to give up nuclear weapons, even as tensions persist between the U.S. and China over trade and defense matters. The Navy is leading the investigation into the breach. So it's already uh, it's already leaked out or snuck out that the contractor, the reason the contractor was so sloppy, um, having uh, this 614 gigabytes of material, and again, to be clear, it was not all marked classified, but what the Navy is saying is if you have access to all of it, um, in in a, a single hack, a single download, uh, then yeah, it's very sensitive, and we would consider it classified. Uh, a normal contractor uh, like Lockheed or Northrop, uh, they have protocols. They they hire retired FBI guys. They re- retire. They hire retired Navy crypto people and all that. Um, they know because they will lose money if they're sloppy with uh, with classified materials. Or if they're sloppy, um, um, awarding classified uh, or, or security clearances to people who don't qualify, there's a profit motive in it for them to keep the work. So they invest money in keeping that kind of stuff secure. So the word is that the contractor that kept this stuff on unclassified servers was a university. It was a university that the uh, the Navy had a contract with uh, to do uh, some some research projects. Uh, and some historic research and to set up databases and things like that, and that uh, they had all this reference material. They had access to classified information about the Sea Dragon hypersonic missile, the whole thing. Uh, And because it's a university and uh, no one's in the real world, uh, they nodded their heads when the Navy said, all right, you know, let's keep this stuff close hold, close to the chest, close to the vest. And they, of course, looked at each other response and said, military people are so stupid. And they proceeded to put all this stuff on an unclassified server. Uh, and also, by the way, shoot emails out from that server. So the, the Chinese are sitting there hoovering up every unencrypted piece of email that's coming out. Uh, so they got access to this. So anyway, that's the word that it was a university. It was a, it was a .edu domain <clears throat> that was hacked into. So uh, there's that. All right, when we come back. Uh, the fascination with Little Bighorn and uh, General uh, George Armstrong Custard, a $12,500 lot at a auction today, a lock of George Custer's hair uh, for, for 12 and a half large. Uh, we'll talk about this uh, right after this. A, a, a great example of insurgency turning into conventional warfare at the Little Bighorn. Uh, that and more coming up. Brian Suits in here until midnight. KFI AM640, the dark secret place, uh, AM640, more stimulating talk. Michael Chappé with the news. KFI AM640, more stimulating talk. It is a dark secret place. Brian Suits uh, in here until midnight. And um, just just to wrap this up, I, I forgot to get to this part of the Washington Post story. You, you know that I have told you uh, for years here in Southern California that the Chinese Ministry for State Security has more assets and agents than the FBI does. The uh, the Washington Post actually gets into that, <clears throat> and I just want to read you what, what they wrote about the hack from an unnamed contractor. For years, Chinese government hackers have siphoned information on the U.S. military, underscoring the challenge 
the Pentagon faces in safeguarding details of its technological advances. Over the years, the Chinese have snatched designs for the F-35 Joint Strike Fighter, the advanced Patriot Pac-3 missile system, the Army system for shooting down ballistic missiles called the THAAD, the Terminal High Altitude Area Defense, and the Navy's new uh, littoral uh, combat ship, a small surface vessel designed for nearshore operations. Uh, in some cases, suspected Chinese breaches appear to have resulted in copycat technologies, such as the drones China has produced that mimic U.S. unmanned aircraft. So let me skip ahead to the, uh, to the money shot. Investigators say the hack was carried out by the Chinese Ministry of State Security, a civilian spy agency responsible for counterintelligence, foreign intelligence, and domestic political security. The hackers operated out of an MSS division in the province of Guangdong, which houses a major foreign hacking department. Although the Chinese army is far better known than the MSS when it comes to hacking, the latter's personnel are more skilled and much better at hiding their tracks, said a former CIA, uh, said a former analyst in the CIA, Peter Mattis. Uh, the MSS, he said, hacks for all forms of intelligence, foreign, military, and commercial. In September 2015, in a bid to avert economic sanctions, Chinese President Xi Jinping pledged to President Barack Obama that China would refrain from conducting commercial cyber espionage against the U.S. Following the pact, China appeared to have curtailed much, although not all, of its hacking activity against U.S. firms. <clears throat> so there. Um, uh, yeah, so that is the, uh, the situation, uh, which is normal, AFU, uh, by the way. And so uh, the Pentagon actually has... You know, if you're wondering, well, uh, how do we know this and who fights back? Contractors have a duty to self-report, so there's that. Um, th there, there are a couple very little-known Pentagon offices. One, one of them uh, is the uh, Defense Threat Reduction Agency, the DITRA, which is which is part of the Pentagon, and it's so hush-hush, it's not even in the Pentagon. It's a couple miles away. That's the uh, the DITRA, the Defense Threat Reduction Agency. The other one is the Pentagon DAMO. The Damage Assessment Management Office. And uh, these guys are like secret agents, only they're sort of after-the-fact secret agents. If something has been hacked, uh, they, they both interrogate uh, the, the victim of the hacking, but they also chase down who did it uh, and the whole thing. So the Pen Pentagon has the Damage Assessment Management Office, and they are like cyber James Bonds, but it'd be better not to use them, wouldn't it? So, so again... Uh, the, the Chinese know exactly uh, what they want, uh, and that points to the kind of warfare they project happening in the future. Uh, the American submarine technology has been a absolute uh, A-plus brass ring target for them for 15 years. Um, we know that the Chinese envision a naval conflict in the South China Sea uh, as uh, being fairly one-sided with U.S. submarines. U.S. fast attack submarines and ballistic missile submarines are both capable of delivering cruise missiles, conventional cruise missiles, anti-ship missiles, the whole thing. And the Chinese are virtually incapable of detecting them. So that is a significant advantage. So the Chinese are looking to level the playing field, um, not by uh, researching and spending money in anti-submarine warfare techniques on their own, but rather getting it free by hacking into ours and finding out what we can do and what we can't do, uh, and et cetera. So it's just another day for the Ministry for State Security, the MSS, this time on the East Coast in Rhode Island. Uh, but uh, make, make no mistake, they're, uh, they're all around us here in L.A. because this is a, a, a epicenter for defense technology from, <clears throat> from China Lake to Edwards uh, to Palmdale uh, to Burbank to Long Beach to Monrovia. Uh, there's a critical mass of military technology being developed here in the Southland, and the the Chinese are not dummies. And you uh, you you take them for granted, or you you underestimate them at your own peril. Uh, and they're they're very very good in a country as diverse and uh, and uh, immigrant uh, driven as the United States. The Chinese have found it extremely easy to plant agents here uh, as Taiwanese or. Uh, as uh, people uh, uh, coming in from uh, the People's Republic of China, so so there uh, there is that. Um, all right, the the uh, the Battle of uh, Little Bighorn. If you've ever been there uh, in sort of uh, south 
central Montana. It's it's a lot of fun. Go there in the summer. Um, uh, read a book or two before you uh, before you go through. Know know a thing or two. But uh, it, it's uh, pretty stunning. The uh, there are headstones lying where the men were found. They were all reburied several years later in a mass grave. But as as you see the map of of uh, where men were felled in ones and twos until they got to the top of the hill and then uh, and then headstones where they lay. It's it's uh, fairly moving. And it is, of course, in American popular history and culture. Uh, I don't know how many times George Custer has been portrayed uh, in films. Of course, Errol Flynn in They Died With Their Boots On, <clears throat> which is a absolutely thoroughly unmitigated phenomenal movie, except for the fact that it's appallingly uh, 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 unrealistic and inaccurate for that matter. But besides that, if uh, if you like men in tight pants, if you like Errol Flynn with uh, the last turkey in the shop uh, that he's apparently hiding in his pants, then uh, by all means, go see They Died With Their Boots On. Um, from everything I've read about George Armstrong Custer, the, the uh, young uh, brevet general of Civil War legend, uh, who at the age of 23 was was leading a, a cavalry regiment to great glory on the Civil War battlefields. Everything I've read about the guy is that he's a complete arrogant a-hole. And probably the best depiction of George Armstrong Custer um, happened in the Dustin Hoffman movie, Little Big Man. If you have ever, it's by the way, if you've never seen Little Big Man, you really should go see Little Big Man. You rent it, Netflix it, wherever it is. I don't even know if it's on Amazon or any of those, but... Dustin Hoffman plays a 105-year-old man who is identified as the last survivor, the last living survivor of the Little Bighorn. And he goes through this amazing life story, goes back in time. Uh, and it was a great novel in the late 60s. But he was, in the novel, this fictional character, uh, Jack Crabb, um, was kidnapped by uh, engines from a young age, uh, lived with uh, the, the Pawnee, for years and came back in a white society. Uh, and he was an Indian scout for Custer. And the movie depicts Custer as being just an arrogant moron. Uh, I'll play a clip of it when we come back. Uh, but a, a lock of his hair went for $12,500 today from the 1876 battle of little bighorn. Uh, there are 260 more items from the collection that were also auctioned off, but, uh, uh, uh also, uh, a rifle that was used during the battle. Uh, it's expected to sell for more than $200,000. Uh, so we'll see how that uh, went. But when we come back, uh, I'll play you a little clip from Little Big Man and uh, and talk about the legacy of George Armstrong Custer. Uh, it is the Dark Secret Place. Brian sits in here one more time right after this. KFI AM640, more stimulating talk. Michael Chappé with the news. KFI AM640, more stimulating talk. It is the Dark Secret Place one last time. Uh, Brian sits in here until midnight, then I'll be back for Super Hyper Local Sunday uh, tomorrow night. Heritage Auctions offering more than 260 items from the Little Bighorn collection earlier today. Um, Steve Lansdale of Heritage Auctions says a lock of hair belonging to George Armstrong Custer, who died in the battle, sold for $12,500, um, which was more more than six times the pre-auction estimate of uh, of two thousand. Then again, there's a there is a rifle that is actually a cavalry carbine um, that was probably taken off of a dead seventh cavalryman that is estimated uh, or expected to sell for more than two hundred thousand dollars. <throat> the um the eighteen seventy six campaign. Uh, it is said that Armstrong's hubris, pardon me, Armstrong Custer's hubris. Uh, is what probably killed him because he he never gave his enemy enough credit. Even though by 1876, uh, there there had been some Native American, especially the Plains Indians, victories against conventional uh, U.S. Army cavalry and infantry. And um, in by 1876, in the Dakota territories, we had a rough alliance with the Crow. We had, we had fought the Crow very hard, but we had uh, defeated them. And had an alliance with them. Well, the, the deal was uh, Lakota Sioux um, and Arapaho were invading Crow lands in Montana. This is something that you you won't hear when you actually go to the Custer National Battlefield. It's <clears throat> it's administered 
by uh, most all the park rangers actually are Crow uh, tribal members from the Crow Nation in eastern Montana. And the their extent of knowledge is basically, well, we were here first, it's our land, then Whitey showed up, uh, and then occasionally black cavalry and black infantry, um, and they oppressed us and the whole thing, which in the big picture is, you know, not inaccurate, but I'm just saying that that it was a counterinsurgency that Custer was fighting. Um, to give credit where credit's due, he did understand the shifting alliances and things like that. And the crow came to him and said, the treaty land that we agreed to stay on has been invaded by hostile tribes, uh, the Lakota Sioux, uh, the Arapaho, Cheyenne. They have come together in a mega tribe of warriors. They have set aside generations of differences with each other to uh, to take some of our lands. And so Custer went to field uh, with the 7th Cavalry, with uh, the uh, the 1st and 2nd and 3rd Battalions of the 7th Cavalry. He decided to leave behind his Gatling guns. The Gatling gun was invented actually during the Civil War, but it never saw combat. Uh, its first customer was the Tsar, uh, the Russians put Gatling guns to great use in their own counterinsurgency in the steppes of southern Russia uh, against Cossacks uh, and and other uh, brigands and, uh, and and other hostile tribes. Um, but Custer didn't bring them. But then again, uh, the way he was outmaneuvered um, by the uh, the hostile tribes, he probably couldn't have set them up anyway. Uh, but he claimed that they slowed you down. They were so heavy because Gatling guns were actually run as pieces of artillery, the red legs. The artillery guys are the ones who actually operated the the Gatling guns. So of, of all the movies, <clears throat> um, Dog Soldiers, uh, they died with their boots on, uh, Custer's Last Stand in 1991. There have been many, many movie depictions of George Armstrong Custer, but one one really, really, really stands out, and it was... Uh, in the movie Little Big Man, where uh, uh, Dustin Hoffman, uh, his parents are killed when he's a kid. He's captured by the Pawnee. He's raised as an Indian brave. Then he's uh, then he goes back into white society, tries to make his way, um, and he's hired as a scout by the Seventh Cavalry as a uh, Indian scout. And uh, Custer doesn't trust him. He doesn't like Custer. Custer thinks that he can do a Jedi mind trick that he can outsmart. Uh, the man uh, that he hired as a mule skinner. Um, and so Dustin Hoffman uh, realizes that that General Custer will take anything he says because he was raised as a Pawnee, because he was raised as an Indian. Dustin Hoffman, now this is a fictional, fictional character, uh, decides to tell George Armstrong Custer the truth about what is down in this draw, in this coulee, as they call it, uh, because he knows that Custer will not believe him. So Dustin Hoffman tells him the truth about what's about to happen to him, and Custer's too arrogant to uh, to listen to him in this scene from Little Big Man. Well, what's your answer, Mule Skinner? General, you go down there. You're advising me to go into the coulee? Yes, sir. There are no Indians there, I suppose. I didn't say that. There are thousands of Indians down there. And when they get done with you, there won't be nothing left but a greasy spot. This ain't the Washidaw River, General. And them ain't helpless women and children waiting for you. The Cheyenne brave and Sue. You go down there if you got the nerve. Still trying to outsmart me, aren't you, Mule Skinner? You want me to think that you don't want me to go down there, but the subtle truth is you really don't want me to go down there! <laughs> well, are you reassured now, Major? So there you have it. That's uh, probably one of the most accurate depictions of George Armstrong Custer, who uh, who was a very, very clever, brilliant, and, and brave leader. But uh, as he began his own vainglory and legend-seeking, he began believing his own newspaper clippings. 
Uh, and that that uh, quality called hubris is probably what got him killed. By the way, uh, Richard Mulligan played Custer in Little Big Man, 1970s Little Big Man. And if he sounds familiar, you might remember him in Soap. There was a TV series called Soap in the 70s and early 80s. He was in Soap. But anyway, that's who played uh, George Armstrong Custer. Um, all right. Well, again, uh, live show, Dave and Buster's in Carlsbad this Thursday, June 14th. Uh, 8 to 10 p.m., get there around 7. Two tickets for 26 bucks. So San Diego, don't ever say I didn't do anything for you. So uh, we'll be down there. Folks, the anecdotes, uh, the whole thing. And uh, uh, Trump and Kim Jong-un are getting to Singapore here in the next few hours. And I'm sure that'll be covered on live TV if you care to stay up. You'll see it on the news anyway tomorrow. Monday night, I'm part of Fox News and Fox Business's live coverage of uh, the, the summit. Uh, they're in Singapore, so that'll be going on. And then I'll be uh, in here with uh, with Bill Handel on Tuesday morning. Probably very tired, but uh, it'll be a good kind of tired. Uh, all right, thanks to Hector and Michael Chappé. And uh, Coast to Coast Weekend is up next. Brian Suits out, KFI AM 640. More stimulating talk.